Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 8th of April 2012, entitled D-Day, and the Bible reading is taken from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 15. Here's Brother Pedro Yearwood. May I say first of all, thank you so much for being here this evening. I know that you are tired. <laughs> You've got to be. You started very early, and it's uh, getting very late. So I know you must be tired. So thank you so much for being here. Um, I, I'm so sorry that uh, uh, more of my family aren't here tonight, but thank you for having us. And um, again, thank you so much for being here. Um, do you know more and more churches across the country are beginning to cancel their evening service? Uh, a very dear um, a friend of mine, a pastor in, um, uh, there in, um, in, in Old Town in Swindon, and not far from where we live, um, he's just had to, to, um, to terminate his evening services. Uh, now, in the morning service, there, there are 80 people <laughs> um, who, who sort of fill the, the little building, but in the evening, there were just a couple of people coming along. So thank you so much for, for taking the, making the effort and for being here this evening. It would have been so easy and, uh, and understandable if you'd said, look, long day, I'm staying home. <laughs> but you've, you've come out, and I thank you so very much. Pastor talked about uh, friendship and whatnot. Um, you've been such wonderful friends to us, and we thank you. Thank you so much for your prayers. Thank you for your support, for, your, uh, for just for being there. Um, uh, let me see now, Maurice would know what it feels like to be away from home and then what it is to come back home and, um, and to know home is always there. And to us, this is like home. And it's, and it's wonderful whenever um, we, can, we can come back. Pastor also mentioned about friendship. Uh, he's been such a dear friend to me. Do you realize what a blessing God has given you as a pastor? I hope, I hope you realize it because... One of the things I've, I've um, seen over these past few years um, is that there is a dearth, a drought, by the way, has a drought reached up here? You have hosepipe bands and all that. Well, we've got hosepipe bands down in the south. I mean, you just, you know, as of 1st of April, there is a, a drought uh, of, of sorts. There's a river that runs through the middle of our village, and this year it hasn't, it hasn't appeared. It's just not turned up uh, because they're pumping the water elsewhere. They're taking the water out and sending it elsewhere, so... Our river is gone. Um, but there is such a drought, such a, a, a famine, a drought, a dearth of, uh, of true men of God in this land anymore. And uh, if you don't know that, that is because, thank God, you're in a place where you've got one. Be thankful. Do not take it for granted. Let me say that again in English. Do not take it for granted. Don't take it for granted. There's so many churches who either do not have a pastor or they've got... Um, a man who um, will either tickle their ears or just um, go through the same old, same old week after week and, um, and keep the thing going, or one who is looking to entertain or build himself a kingdom or whatever his plans are. But there is so little sound teaching and preaching of the Word of God. God has given you such a man, and he's given you other good men and wonderful ladies here as well. So take advantage, enjoy it, and um, thank God for the blessing. Now, you're going to think I've got my dates mixed up when I, when I ask you this, this question, but uh, I haven't. I've got a reason for asking. Um, who knows uh, the, the date 
of D-Day. Who knows the day? Steve. 6th of June. Excellent. Top of the class. 6th of June, 1944. That's gone and spoiled my thing because I thought nobody would know it. But um, that's, that's it. 6th of June, 1944 was, was D-Day. Now, second question. And if you know the answer to this, now I'm really, I'm scuppered. <laughs> what does D, the D and D-Day mean? Who knows? Or I have a guess. Anybody? What do you think the D in D-Day might, might mean? No ideas? Ah, sh sh oh, no, I thought, I thought you were putting your hand up where you were just. Well, here's the answer. The D in D-Day has absolutely no meaning. It's just a letter. It's a letter the military use to, to be a, a, as a point of reference for an exercise that they're about to, to carry out. They're just, that's just, that's just a letter they could, it could have been C day, L day, P day, you know, Z day, any, anything, but they, choo, they chose D. Of course, it sounds good D day as against, you know, Q day or something like that. But uh, it has absolutely no meaning. But D day is, is uh, for the military, is always a, a point of reference, and they tend to sort of count down towards D day. So you get D minus five, it's five days before the exercise or the, the, the attack or whatever it is takes place. D minus four, D minus three, and right down to D-Day, and that's when they go. You know when our D-Day was? Our D-Day, and this D stands for deliverance, was around about 32 AD. That's when Christ rose from the dead. Amen. Amen. That was deliverance day, and that's what we are... Uh, remembering today, and I hope that's what you're rejoicing in. That was Deliverance Day. Deliverance Day. And that's what I want to draw your attention to this evening. So if you look in your scriptures, please, uh, to Hebrews chapter 2, and uh, we're going to read just two verses, verse 14 and verse 15. Hebrews 2, verse 14 and verse 15. The scriptures say, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Did you see those two key words in those two verses? It says, he partook of flesh and blood himself likewise, that through death he might destroy, destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them. Christ came to destroy, and he came to deliver. He came to destroy the enemy and to deliver us. Now you say, wait a minute, as far as I know, the devil isn't destroyed. He's still pretty busy. He is definitely still at work. Well, beloved, remember this, uh, that unlike us, God is not limited by time and space. In the mind of God, the work of Christ destroyed the enemy. We just haven't seen it. Uh, we haven't seen it uh, happen yet. But the Bible actually gives, in case you're in any doubt, the Bible actually gives us an account of his final days. Revelation chapter 20 talks about um, um, how the, um, the enemy, uh, Satan will be um, cast into the 
Uh, verse two, I'll, I'll, let me just read from verse one. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand and laid hold uh, on uh, the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. Uh, drop down then to verse uh, seven. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to, the, to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about uh, the, and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Now look at verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's it. That is his end. On the cross, Christ destroyed him. And we here have an account of his end, his actual physical end. So Christ came to destroy, but what I want to focus on this evening in the next few minutes is the fact that he also came to deliver. See, it was D-Day, D-Day, Deliverance Day, when Christ rose from the dead. Now, we'll be back there in just a, just a little while, but um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 has in it one of the most uh, clear and compact summaries of the gospel you can find anywhere in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Did you get that? The apostles said, for I, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now this evening, I'm going to attempt to go D minus 5. We're going to count backwards to D day. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 from these two verses here. Dear friend, if you are sitting here this evening and you have never understood that Christ came to deliver you personally, then I am so glad you are here. And I hope that by the time we are done, you will see beyond any doubt that deliverance is yours for the taking. Five, four, three, two, one. Let's count down to D-Day. Five. Now they tell me that five in, the, in, the, in Bible numerology, five is, is the number of, of grace and of the cross and of atonement. Well, let me draw your attention to five words that change everything. Look in verse three. It says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. Say it with me. Christ died for our sins. Now, Selah, uh, just stop and think on that for a moment. Christ died for our 
saints, the five most important words in our vocabulary. That changes everything. Christ died for our sins. Now, some of you may say, well, I, I, am a, I am an exceedingly sinful person. Ah, but Christ died for our sins. You may say, well, you don't know how far down I've gone. I've, I've done some horrible things. But Christ died for our sins. He said, well, I can see how he might die for the sins of some people. I mean, there are some reasonable people, decent people about. I can say, oh, but Christ died for our sins. All our sins, including you and me. Christ died for our sins. Five words that change everything. That's five. Let's go to four. Four is verse four. Look at verse four. It says that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So we see that Christ died for our sins. The five key words. But then he was buried and then he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Just like he said he would. Now if he had died and not risen... You and I would be lost because all he would have been would have, uh, was, uh, would have been a, a very good man, a righteous man who died. Well, there would have been several before him, many before him, who also would have been good men and died. But he died. He, he told all who would listen, all who had an ear to hear, he said, that he was life, that he was the door, that he was the bread that had come down from heaven, that he was the water that they were waiting for. He told them that he was the answer, that he had the key. He told them that he was Messiah, the one they'd waited for for so long. But then they saw him hanging on that cross with the, what the, the Romans thought was an accusation, but actually was the truth. Pinned above his head, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, absolutely right. The king of all, not just the Jews, the king of all, but certainly the king of the Jews. And he died for the first time in human history since Adam and Eve sinned. For the first time, get your head around this, all of the sin. Of all humanity, past, present to that day, and all that would go on into even the present time and whatever amount of time we've got left until Christ comes and, cons uh, and consummates everything. All sin, all of it, for the first time, all that sin was focused on one day, in one place, on one person. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us. The righteous son of God, who had never sinned, who could not sin, he took on sin. He put it on like I'm putting on this coat. And he bore that sin there on Calvary's cross. Not just a few little bad things that a few people did, but all sin Everything, the worst of the worst of the worst. All sin from Adam's and Eve's right at the beginning to the very last sin that will be committed. All of it. Do you realize how many people have lived on this earth already? Well, surely billions. We've got 
several, we've got lots of billions now, but, but, but billions, the billions, the sins of billions and billions of people, an innumerable number of sins and, and, of, a, of, of, and of, of such depravity, things that you and I could not discuss publicly, horrendous things, things that are going on right now in our country that are so horrible. You can't, even, you can't even discuss it in polite gatherings. There are things you have to, you know, you have to speak about quietly. I mean, horrible things are happening. Disgusting things, horrendous things. All that sin was focused on this one man hanging on that cross. And God the Father's wrath broke loose on him. Isaiah says that the Father smote him. For the first time, all sin was in one place, in one man, and the wrath of God broke loose. And he bore that wrath. He bore that wrath for you and for me. <clears throat> and he died on that cross and was buried. But then he rose on the third day, just like he said. So that's verse 4. That's the fourth. But then look in verse 3. We're getting down to 3. 5, 4, 3. For I delivered unto you first of all, the apostle said, that which I also received. He says, I delivered unto you. What are those next three words there in your Bible? First of all. First of all. First of all. Above everything else. Above everything else. Preeminent to everything and anything else. I, Paul says, have delivered you this message that Christ died for your sins. Nothing matters more, Paul says. I've delivered this to you first of all. First of all. Beyond anything else. You see, beloved, when you understand what it cost our Savior to bear your sin and mine upon himself, the holy, sinless Son of God, to bear our sin in his own body and to receive the full wrath of God. You know, friends, so often at this time of year, when we, we, think, of, uh, <clears throat> we think of Christ's death and so on, and, and we think of him on the cross and we see him there, and it is a horrendous way to die. You die of asphyxiation in the end. You suffocate. In, in, in addition to blood loss and everything else, your body goes into, uh, into, um, uh, into, uh, into, into overdrive because you're losing blood. And your body, which is designed to survive, tries to survive, but it cannot because you are hanging by nails, big spikes suspended from the ground. And your own weight and gravity is pulling you to the ground, but these nails are keep keeping you uh, pinned there. Remember that prior to that, he had been beaten his back was open. Then they put him up upon the cross and nailed him there. Remember how he had suffered prior to that. And all that's horrible. But friends, that pales into utter insignificance in comparison to the fact that when he was there, he was carrying your sin and mine and had to face the full wrath of God. That is what was the real horror of the cross. Other people had been crucified before and after. And it's not pleasant. It's a horrible way to die. 
But the significant thing about Christ on the cross is that he was bearing our sin. And he died and rose again. When you realize what he did for you, it becomes, first of all, nothing else matters more. If you say you know Christ as Savior, my friend, my brother, my sister, Christ should be first of all in your life. If he isn't, there's something wrong. It's one who would do that for you. Should he not be first of all? Paul said, first of all, I deliver this onto you. Five, four, three. Now let's get down to two. The two is in reference to these two verses, verses three and four. These two vital verses that declare the gospel very simply that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose again, which brings us down to one. Paul says, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. It comes down to one. One. Me. You. One. Do you know, if you ever trust Christ as your Savior, you will do it alone. You won't do it in a committee. You won't do it as a group effort. You will trust Christ alone or you will reject him alone. But it comes down to one. One, just, just one. It is one person's decision. I may be here tonight. It is one person's decision. It may be that there's someone here tonight. I, I, I know many of your faces, but I do not know your heart any more than you know mine. Only God knows your heart. And you know your thoughts. You know yourself. It is a decision of one person. That thief on the cross, when he recognized who it was that was being crucified next to him, said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. <laughs> it had come down to, to just one thing, one person. Remember me. When, the, uh, when, when Saul, as he was, met the, the Lord on that tripped on that road to Damascus as he was um, going that way to persecute even more uh, of God's people. And he recognized what, who, who, had, uh, who had met him. Uh, and as he, as he stood there in the glory of the risen Christ, he said what? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? What shall I do? You see, it came down to one. Paul was a well, Saul was a well-known man. He, he was always in the thick of everything. He, he was always surrounded by people. And he was always, but all of a sudden, it came down to just one. It was Paul, it was Saul and Christ. And he said, Lord, what will thou have me <clears throat> to do? What did the Philippian jailer say when God uh, miraculously release uh, his servants that he realized these are no ordinary men these are the servants of God and their God is true look what he's done he said what shall I do to be saved you see it comes down in the end to just one doesn't matter what sort of a home you grew up in you you may have grown up in a, in a, in a wonderful Christian home you may attend a really good church uh, you may have so much going for you but friend it comes down to just you and Christ and a decision that you have to make, the biggest decision of your life. We'll come back there in just a moment, and I, I, I promise you we are not going to go on for, for, for very much longer. 
I say this is D-Day, Deliverance Day, when Christ rose uh, from the dead. But let me, let me just stop the countdown there at one. It goes further. It does go to zero, but we'll, we'll come back to that in just a moment. You see, zero is D-Day. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Let me speak to you uh, just for a few moments. Uh, to, to those of you who know Christ as Savior, do you know what, what this D-Day, what this Deliverance Day does for us? Back in our text in Hebrews uh, chapter 2 again, in Hebrews chapter 2 verse, uh, verse 15, uh, verse 14 talks about destroying him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Verse 15 says, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. When you trusted Christ as your savior, do you know what happened? The instant you place faith in Christ, the instant you recognize that you were a sinner and that you were already condemned and that if you died in your condemned state, that you would face the judgment of God rightly because you were a sinner. You recognize that and you also understood the good news, this good news that we just heard, that Christ died for our sins. Hallelujah. And you thought, yes, I'll have that. If he would do that for me, why would I not accept such a gift? And you put your trust in what Christ did on the cross. As far as you were concerned, and he shed his blood as God's lamb, the lamb of God. When he shed his blood, he was shedding it for you. And you, you, you trusted in that. You put your faith in what he did for you and that he rose from the, from the grave proving, proving that he was who he said he was. That he was the one who could give life and, and, and liberty to all who would trust in him. You understood that and you did that. You trusted Christ as Savior. Hallelujah. I'm so glad because nothing matters more. But you know what? When you were delivered, do you know you were delivered Surely, yes, from the, from the penalty of, of sin. You will not face God's wrath. You became God's child. You have a glorious future. Really, you do. You have a glorious future, and it is eternal. An eternally glorious future. But in the meantime, whilst we're here, there's a battle going on. But the good news is that the deliverer can deliver us from them, from, from those battles and through those battles as well. It says, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Deliverance from the fear of death. Have you ever thought about the fact that the fear of death is the ultimate fear? That is the ultimate fear. If you think about it, all other fears are subsets of the fear of death. Now, what is death? Death is separation, isn't it? Separation of the spirit from the body, separation of us from our loved ones and from that which we are familiar with. Uh, death is separation. Spiritual death, which is what happened when Adam and Eve sinned against God in, in the beginning. Spiritual death is what? Separation from God. Death is separation. And that is what we instinctively fear. 
Do you know the very first emotion, carnal emotion, that our first parents experienced after they had disobeyed God and sin came in was fear. Genesis chapter 3. Says in, in the, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7, the eyes of them both were open and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. That was a futile thing to do, wasn't it? Hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, uh, Lord God, amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, Watch this, observe this carefully. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I heard thy voice, I was afraid, and I hid myself. And mankind has gone on in that vein ever since. God speaks through creation, He is spoken uh, through, He speaks through conscience. But above all, he speaks through the cross. God speaks. And do you know what's man's reaction? Fear. Man runs and hides himself in the trees of philosophy and, 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 and religion and anything, anything that he can hide behind. Anything he can concoct to hide behind. Attempting to hide from the presence of God. Psalm 139 says, where can, where can I flee from his presence? The answer very simply is nowhere. There is no hiding place from the presence of God. But the very first carnal emotion was that of fear. I've got to hide myself. Why? Because they were conscious all of a sudden of the separation between them and a holy God. And that's what fear is. And all the other sorts of fears that we experience during our life, think about it. There is uh, spiritual fear, which is what we're talking about here. Uh, there's, there's fear in, with regard, uh, sorry, um, death rather. There's spiritual death, which is what we were just talking about. There is physical death. So spiritual death is how we were all born as a result of what our four parents did, our first parents did. Separation from God. Physical death, that's a separation of uh, the spirit from the body and separation of us from from everything else that, we've, that we know. There's also a sort of a, if you, if you would pardon me, there's also a sort of a, a circumstantial death. That is a separation in our circumstances from things that make us comfortable, from the things that we like. In other words, anything that causes us, anything that causes us to feel threatened, to feel as though we are separated from safety, we are separated from our comfort, we are separated from what we're familiar with, generates fear death is all about separation but the bible tells us we just read it he came to deliver them who through fear of death this separation fear of this this separation were all their lifetime subject to bondage i, I wish we had time to look at at all the, the so many verses that uh, that support and, and and corroborate that i'll just 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 read one Romans chapter 8 and verse 15 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. He's delivered us from having to live 
in fear. He's delivered us from having to live in fear of the ultimate uh, fear, which is death, physical death. He's opened our eyes and thank God, spiritually, we are no longer separated from him. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, we are reunited, hallelujah, with he who loved us and gave himself for us. But he, he's, he, has, he has delivered us from bondage to fear. We need not live in fear any longer. Now, we haven't got time this evening to, 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 to look at this in any detail. I'll, I'll just read you a few things, a very few things with regard to fear very, very quickly. First of all, the Bible tells us that fear has torment. First John 4, 18. It says that perfect love casteth out fear, for fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Fear hath torment. And then fear also brings bondage. We just read that. Fear is a spiritual thing. It is a spirit of fear. Fear is a spiritual thing. It's real. Fear is addictive. You, just get, you can get hooked on fear. You get so used to being fearful that you almost can't live without it. You feel fearful if you're not feeling fearful, if you know what I mean. It's addictive. Fear is also contagious. Have you ever noticed that? When one person starts to become fearful about something, even if it's something as silly as <clears throat> the fact that we may not have petrol um, at, the, at, the, at the petrol stations, what happens? Mass panic! Cues! Just for petrol, you know. Can you imagine what would happen if there were to be a serious national crisis? It would be absolute bedlam. You know, we are such a wonderful advanced, industrialized, civilized nation, are we not? We are no third world country. <laughs> but but let, let a rumor get about uh, that, um, that, that, you know, they're, they're running out of bread or that milk is, is going to be in short supply next week. And I tell you what, people will trample each other in fear. I want mine. I don't want to be separated from my food. <laughs> I don't want to be separated from my, my, my petrol, which gives me the freedom to get about. Fear is contagious. And within a short time, it's just, it's, it's mass panic. Fear is, is contagious, even amongst believers. You, you start talking fearfully, and um, it's amazing how, how the other person starts thinking, well, yeah, what if that could happen to me? You know, I never thought of that, you know, and, and it's contagious. By the way, faith is contagious as well. That's another subject. Faith is, is, uh, fear is also distorting. It distorts how everything looks. All of a sudden, everything looks different when fear is involved. It's like being in the dark. Have you ever noticed that, that even places that you know well, like your own house, if the lights go out, all of a sudden you're like this and you're, and you're, you're feeling about and, and everything feels different. It's the same house, same chair, same table. Everything is in the same position. But because our vision, what we can see, has changed, all of a sudden everything else seems to have changed. Fear does that. And fear is also a deceiver. It is a liar. Fear will lie to you again and again and again, and it will, it will make things look so real that are not there. Have you ever stopped to consider that most of the things you fear never even come to pass? They never even come to pass. And the few that do come to pass are nothing like as bad as we thought they would be most of the time. Now you get the odd occasion when it is, it is something serious, something bad. 
But most of the time it either doesn't happen at all or it's nothing like as bad as we thought it would be. But fear is a liar. It's a deceiver. Now Christ came to deliver us from fear. If you're a child of God, don't live in fear. If tonight there is something on your heart, something on your mind, some fear, something that you are fearing, some circumstance that might be upcoming, some something that you might be in presently and it is such a fear it has brought you into bondage and it's like a it's like a living presence all around you of course it is fear is real it's the spirit the spirit of bondage the bible tells us in romans 8 15 if if that is your situation tonight beloved i have got some good news d-day <laughs> the savior rose from the dead and he has delivered us from bondage to fear, you need not live there anymore. He said, well, no, 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 brother, that's too simple. It's simple, but it's true. God says so. God says you need not live in fear. Let me just finish now with the last part of the countdown to D-Day. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Zero is D-Day. Now, friend, if tonight you have never trusted Christ as Savior and you die before you trust him or without trusting him, then you face D-Day. But it's not Deliverance Day. It is Doomsday. You see, it is Jesus or judgment. There is nothing else. There is no middle ground. There is no one else. If for you the clock ever comes down to zero, and you go out of this life without having trusted Christ as your Savior. My friend, as sure as God is God, as sure as his word is true, you have begun to face your own D-Day, doomsday. But that is not what God wants for you. He wants to deliver you. He wants to do it today. He wants to do it now. I hope that if tonight you've never trusted Christ, I'm not saying that you've never put money in the offering plate here. I'm not saying that you've never done anything good. I'm not saying that you are not a decent person, but you have never trusted Christ as your Savior. Not relying on Larry Curtis. He cannot get you to heaven. Amen? Nor can Steve, or Peter, or Janie, or anybody else. You cannot say to God, Lord, Lord, I was a member of Bethel Baptist Church. You know what he will say? Depart from me. I never knew you. There is only one door to heaven, and his name is Jesus. Please, 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 my friend, please. If you've never trusted Christ, you are here. God brought you here and he brought me here so that you and I can have this conversation tonight so that you could put your trust in Christ. And whether you do it now, and I hope you will, or whether you, you do it tonight in the quiet of your room or tomorrow, oh my friend, do it and do it soon because you have no guarantee of tonight. You have no guarantee of tomorrow. Now, the Bible says, is the accepted time. This today is your day of salvation. 
D-Day, Doomsday or Deliverance Day. I hope tonight, dear friend, as you have heard the, the, the wonderful songs that we've sung and the hymns and, and see people rejoice and you think to yourself, what's it all about? I hope you understand now or beginning to understand what it is about. You can have deliverance today as well. Child of God, you are delivered. You're on your way to heaven. But in the meantime, do not live in fear. That is not what God saved you for. That's not what he delivered you for, to, to go back to bondage again. No. Live in faith, faith based in the love of God. And if you do that, if you say, Lord, I'm, I'm weak, I'm struggling, I battle so badly with fear. And by the way, if you do, welcome to the club. You are not alone. <laughs> you are not alone. And you are not odd either. We all know what it feels like to battle with fear. If you have been battling with fear, if you are right now, there is deliverance at hand. Tell the Lord about it. Recognize that he loves you more than you could ever understand. And put your trust, simply like a child would, put your trust in his love for you. And you will see him literally deliver you, free you, liberate you from whatever fear you are facing now and whatever other fears may come uh, in time. God bless you.